Hey, alright. And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Matt Scottaline of Hurry. Hurry released a new record in June called Fake Ideas on Lamo Records. Matt also played in Everyone Everywhere, who just reissued their two LPs on a compilation, also with our friends on Lamo Records. Super excited to have Matt on the show this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music. Thinking of Namdi a lot this week. Had a little accident. Our guy's on tour with Wilco and Sleater Kinney. And he broke his wrist, but he had surgery. He's on his way back onto the tour soon. We love you, Namdi. Better yet, Hall of Famer. Along with Marcus Nuccio, who does our graphics each week. You can see those on our website, betteryetpod.com. I want to invite you all to subscribe to the podcast on your podcast player of choice, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you're new to this show, check out that feed. Scroll through our archives of past episodes. We've got conversations with some of the best musicians on this planet. Sarah Tudson of Illuminati Hotties, Jake Ewald of Slaughter Beach Dog, Barty Strange. Check those out. How have you all been? It's been two months since our last episode, our five-year anniversary special with Julia Steiner of Rap Boys. Been a lot of new beginnings and endings over here. Last week, David Anthony and I recorded our final episode of As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio every week for three plus years. David and I talked about one Alkaline Trio song each week. Our final week was the song As You Were by the Alkaline Trio. It was such a fun and incredible time that David and I had doing that show together. Brandon Kelly and I also posted our season one finale of Road to the Skeleton Coast, a podcast that evolved from talking about all of Brendan's records, prepping for the new Lawrence Arms record, Skeleton Coast, which is available now on Habitat Records, and then continued on through the pandemic, BK's going to go on a tour, which is so exciting. A lot of shows are happening now. It's a beautiful thing to see. Even with the chaos, live music back, baby. I'd also like to give a shout out to former guest and current host of his own podcast, the first ever podcast. That's our friend Jeremy Baum of Touche Amore. That show edited by yours truly i've been editing the first ever podcast for a couple months now jeremy just posted his 50th episode of the first ever podcast an interview with jeff rickley of thursday which was not only the best episode of jeremy's podcast but one of the best episodes of any podcast that i've ever heard give that a listen i've done it twice this week it's made me feel So good. So listen to that after you listen to this one and rate and subscribe and leave a review about how great all those levels sound. What else? I got a job and a new job, a full-time job out here in Valparaiso, Indiana. I'm working for an auction company here in town. Nothing glamorous. I do see some cool stuff come in. We got a table of animal skulls over there right now we just sold a whole lot of blue note records got to spend some time looking through those lots of curiosities coming in keeps things fun at least in my head Uh, it feels good to be working again outside the house i think it's finally getting normal for the dogs to not have me around all day though not preferable We'll see what this all brings as far as things go here. Better Yet has always existed around a less rigid work schedule. 
We'll have to see what happens. I've got a couple interviews banked though, and I'm excited for y'all to hear them, starting with this conversation that I had with Matt Scottaline back in June, right before the release of the fourth Hurry LP, Fake Ideas, which is out now on Lamo Records. Ever since this project started, I've been locked in on Matt's songwriting, which is very much in the tradition of that power pop family tree. You know the one, Big Star, Tommy Keen, Teenage Fan Club, and a band that, for Matt, was very important for me, very important, but a band that doesn't get talked about a lot these days. Yuck. Remember how good that first Yuck record was? Feels like some people forgot what a spark that was. Along with his new record, Matt released a very dope zine, Fake Ideas Volume 1, that featured interviews with everyone involved in making the record, including Matt's bandmates and Francis Quinlan, who did the cover art. It was a very fun and engaging read, great content to go along with the record, hearing Matt, well, reading Matt's conversations with um, other people involved. I found it so engaging and just off the cuff. Loved it so much. This is a fun conversation for you all. Matt and I have a pretty funny history, which is where this conversation starts. So I won't fill you in on those details here, but I will say that as a person who is prone to self-doubt, to second-guessing human interactions, um, I never reached out to Matt to do this podcast because I was a little embarrassed of our previous interaction um but i'm happy that we did connect and that we got to spend some time talking and catching up and talking about the music that he makes and everyone everywhere if i had to pick a band from 2010 they're the one i'd pick and i connected with hurry immediately and i think matt just consistently makes great records fake ideas probably the best one yet so Let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Matt Scottaline. I was excited about this and, um, tell you the truth you're not anymore no and now i'm, I'm really <laughs> upset uh well no because i i you know i've been um i've been watching you uh do this oh. for a while and um when i connected the dots yeah. of who you were i was like oh my god i was like i can't i hope i do it one day because it'll be so fun to talk to you again because of like our mm-hmm. uh, our history it's, it's, not, it's a not a lot, lot of, history, of history but it's a but funny it's, one it, right Okay, we're going to just yeah. like roll into this because I figured we would talk about this at some point. I think it'll be fun because <laughs> we connected for the first time, uh, what, 10 years ago now in St. Louis, Everyone Everywhere Tour. Yeah. And uh, y'all came to St. Louis just for me or just for Larry. <laughs> We yeah we didn't know at the time but it was it was a private event for you. <laughs> so I'll I'll be I'll be upfront about this Matt because like I I look back on that show and I'm a little embarrassed because I feel like I was so hyped and I think that y'all were pretty bummed out and then there's me I'm just like oh my god you guys this is you're the best. You're so great. You should do this all the time. <laughs> it's uh no, it's actually the opposite. We were so like that tour that was that was a like a tour surrounding South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And it was the first and only time we ever went to Austin for that. And um it was like kind of an insane thing cuz this is like a story that I don't think we've ever like talked about, but um Greg from the world is who's no longer in the mm-hmm. band, but is actually ironically is a booking agent now. Right. Um, he put the whole thing together 
like he asked us if we wanted to go down there he was like i'll book a tour we'll Mm -hmm. go and we were like sure sounds good we were all in college and it was going to be like during our spring break so it all worked perfectly and um he he booked the tour did Uh did we tell you this at the time maybe to you it might be it seemed like it was a long drive it was really out of your way so greg booked the tour and this story sounds like i'm like gonna be hard on greg but i'm not because we were all young and like it you know it's just it's the nature of how things were yeah and the itinerary that greg put together diy was Mm -hmm. like really crazy and um the drives were going to be like double digit hours every day Uh and like i think the last leg was like from birmingham to austin and we would have had to drive overnight to get to austin in time for our show yeah and it was like we and so the night before the tour like the us and everyone everywhere we were we were all talking we were like this is gonna be bad like we don't want to do this (laughs) and because we you know we also had some baggage because we never everyone everywhere never had a good tour like Uh uh-huh um i think people like you know we've benefited from time people like look back on that band fondly but at the in the moment like no one cared and and like our tours were awful Uh so we were like oh god this is our spring break like we just wanted to have fun this doesn't seem fun now and the night before we were jerks and we told the world is like we're not gonna go with you on the leg down to austin Uh uh-huh and it was really awkward and i'm sure that like i'm sure greg probably like hates me to this day for doing that but um, we re- we just decided to do a road trip instead. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and that's what we did. But then we joined them for the leg back because the routing was better. And slightly? It, slightly. It was slightly <laughs> better. It was slightly better. Uh, so anyway, my point in telling you all of that is that you being hype in St. Louis uh-huh. was was actually really nice because we had no hype. Like, we were not in a good place. And even in the South by Southwest, like the shows weren't very good. Like it was a classic South by problem where right. like, they were well, yeah. well attended, but like no one cared. Uh-huh. They were like, everyone was there to like look at each other and uh-huh. not necessarily uh-huh. hear us. So anyway, I always remembered you. I think all of us probably do. I can't really speak for everybody, but yeah. Um, you know, it makes an it makes an impression when you're a musician who's like not like crushing it, and people come and they're like stoked and uh, and you had driven like hours to get there too. Yeah, I always you, remember you were from Normal because I had never right. heard of Normal Normal before, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by that. Yeah, that was my that's where I went to college, and I was like out by that time. Um, but yeah, it was only like a couple of hours. You you guys really yeah. like made a big deal out of that. It's like, come on. Well, it didn't. That never happened to us before. I'm sure that it did. I'm sure that there's someone from like Baltimore who drove up to an everyone everywhere show in the Lehigh Valley. That definitely Maybe. happened. If they did, <laughs> they didn't tell us. Well, that's that's nice to hear because I'll be I'll be honest with you. I've wanted to reach out to you for some time. But the, like, beginning email of, like, hey, this is Tim. Remember Larry from St. Louis? <laughs> I mean, that show, because, I mean, we were probably the only people that I think paid. Maybe there was, like, one or two local people. But it was y'all, the world is, the Clippers, great show. And then some weird local band that wore headlamps. Do you remember that? No. Uh, to be honest, like, I remember the venue. And I remember Uh talking to you and maybe like your partner at the time. And, Mm -hmm. and I remember you giving us a piebald CD. Yeah. Cause you never heard piebald. No, we never heard piebald before. Every write up on everyone everywhere back in the punknews.org days was, yeah, this band sounds like piebald. And then I think that was one of the first things I said to you. I was like, yeah, I love Piebald. You're like, we've never heard Piebald before. It's (laughs) so funny that we've never heard Piebald before. Yeah. Well, Brendan especially used to get really angry about the, uh, (laughs) like, all of the references to it. Because they would would really reference, like, loop him into that. 
uh-huh. um, comparison a lot, and he would get so angry about it. So, <laughs> so yeah, on the on the drive from that show, we all listened to Piebald for the first time. Yeah, and it's it was perfect because that's uh, I think the one that I gave you has uh, the line "I feel fine." Like there you go. I don't remember. To be mm-hmm. honest, I never listened to them again. Like we. Oh, they're great. We, we you all should. listened to it that night. <laughs> I, I could just imagine like I not wanting it. to. Yeah, totally. I've, like, because I heard them when like I was that, in eighth right? grade. When I heard them in eighth grade, it was like I'm hooked for life. Totally. Yeah, so. they were a band that I think, like, for all of us, we were too old at that point to like love it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. So it, the only time I've ever heard it was was that night. Well, it's it's good to hear that uh, that it was a good night for y'all too um i was i was thinking about it and and then it was it was funny i guess randomly like not too long ago watch good time and i see brendan McHugh's name in the opening credits and i was like oh cool that's what he's doing that's why he's not making records anymore yeah brendan's been uh i mean the the original reason that like we among yeah the the real reason we stopped is because he moved to new york full-time because he was trying to like crack into the film industry Mm -hmm. and um we even tried a couple times to like because there was um do you remember when jay tree like came back for like a year yeah for (laughs) spirit of the beehive and uh uh-huh yeah slow when that was happening they had reached out to us and they they basically said like if you make anything we'll put it out Uh uh-huh so we were all you know nerds and we were like oh that's so cool we gotta just we'll like write a song and put a seven inch out or something Mm -hmm. and uh we scheduled a time brendan came down from new york we had like a weekend to do it and it was like awful you know because like the i think the nature of that band was like we had to be in college and we had to have like unlimited amounts of time to jam and like get to places and when we tried to force it as like adult people scheduling the time together it was like it just Mm -hmm. wasn't there anymore so we ended up like just giving up on that project but yeah brendan's uh he's crushing it now so let's go all the way back are you from are you from philly area originally yeah i'm from me you know to stay on everyone everywhere i guess me and brendan and the other brendan uh-huh. We all went to high school together in uh, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay. Home of CKY. CKY, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm from Jersey, and then I've got family in the Allentown area. What part of Jersey yeah. are you from? Uh, Somerset County, little town called Neshanic Station. It's like by Flemington, Hillsboro. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. like, close to the PA border, kind of. Totally. Yeah, we yeah. would just like straight shot into Lehigh. Yeah. So I had a couple of visits to like my grandparents where I also went and saw Snowing play at like oh, the VFW it. Hall or whatever. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I, I guess I just assumed you were a Midwest person, you know, yeah, forever. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so so when you were growing up, are, are your folks still living in that? area yeah my parents still live in westchester in the house i grew up in yeah Yeah. was there music in the house growing up um not in any profound way nothing beyond like listening to the radio in the car you know Mm -hmm. and uh stuff like that but no no one else in my family is musical yeah or or i had a i had an uncle who who was a musician but that was it but not in the house or anything Mm -hmm. so do you remember when you were like starting to get into music on a you know nerdy level um well i think i know when i was in second grade um a kid in my class who had an older brother he brought in a cassette tape of dookie Mm -hmm. and um had like a walkman and we all like took turns listening to it and he was playing like longview because he was like yo they curse in this song yeah and uh uh, so I think like that was the first time that I heard like punk music and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is cool. You know, and then I got the cassette for myself. And um, so, you know, I was pretty young 
to be listening to music like that just by nature of like having a friend with an older brother and after that uh, my timeline's not amazing but i think uh the movie that thing you do came out at some point oh yeah yeah and i watched that at a friend's house on like uh, on tape um and that was when i was like okay i need to like be in a band Mm -hmm. that movie is like strangely inspiring it's weird the way it like cultivates something in you yeah, because it's like, you know, it is it is like a, a fantasy, like, wish fulfillment thing, but it and it shows you pretty accurately, like, what the best parts of being in a band feel like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and obviously some of it's a little fantastical, but some of those more visceral, like, emotional, cathartic moments are, they are real, like, like, if you're lucky, you get to experience some version of those things. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of like where I got the bug, I guess. And like shortly after that is when I got a guitar and started taking lessons and things like that. Did you start it on guitar? Started on guitar, quit. Um, Because I took lessons and I was never a big like study person. Yeah. And it made it like not fun. But I also wasn't really motivated enough to like figure it out on my own. Mm. Um, And then so I quit that. And then later I had some friends starting a band, but one of them played guitar already. So I got a bass and then I took bass lessons for a little while. You play some chili peppers. <laughs> yeah. I was, you sl- you I, I was always bad though. Like my pro- my problem was I, I didn't want to practice ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. It was boring. Like it, uh-huh. it wasn't fun. It felt academic. So I was never good. And then in high school, I switched back to guitar when me and Brendan and Brendan started, like they had a band and they needed a singer and a guitar player. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, Oh, I can do that. Even though I didn't know that I could. And, uh, that was how our first band started. And I mean, we're going to talk about everyone everywhere, honestly. Um, but I don't think it gets said often enough that Brendan Graham is like one of the best drummers that I've ever heard in my life. Totally. Has he like, and, and Brendan McHugh is also such a proficient guitar player too. So have they just always been like on a level? Well, Brendan Graham from the time I knew him, like he's Brendan is like the most introverted person I've ever known. Yeah. And you know, like, even in high school, we'd be like, not all the time. I don't want to make him out to be like a recluse, but there'd be times where like after school, we'd be like, Hey, we're going to go like hang out in the Wawa parking lot or, you know, whatever, whatever you do, you know? (laughs) And, um, that's what you do in the fucking tri-state area (laughs) for sure. Right. And he would be like, Oh, I'm just going to go home and practice drums and like wouldn't hang out. And he would practice drums by like playing along to, the Blink-182 live record in its entirety. Holy and, shit. Um, he was in drumline and stuff in high school, too. So he, I think he had that foundation. But, yeah, he, he's just always been crazy good. And, yeah, and Brendan, I know the other Brendan, like, he, you know, he took guitar lessons and stuff. But he's, like, he always just had this, like, really idiosyncratic style where, like, like he would always joke with me. Because he, when I started Hurry, Brendan played second guitar in Hurry. Mm-hmm. And, um he would always tell me how he had a hard time playing hurry songs because like they were more traditional, like open corded, Mm -hmm. like pop songs. And like his, he, he just like his, the way his brain worked with the guitar, it just like, he was always playing like weird riffs and things that like, um, weren't, I don't know how to describe it even, but, um, he's definitely got a style and that's, I listened to both of those records yesterday and i know you did this recently and it seems like you had a good time listening back but the first thing that always grabs me especially with the first lp is just i think that those are some of the best recordings of that era um and i know mike is like still your dude for recording stuff right yeah just there's a real perfection to how well that thing is mixed and I've always just enjoyed like the way that Tommy and Brendan's guitars just felt like a conversation. 
Yep. And I love listening to what I think is Brendan's because it just stays on the right side. And it's so interesting. He's just such a, like, his stuff is really open, too, but he's doing a lot by just, like, alternating between a couple of notes for a yeah, few Yeah, you may be thinking that some of those might be Tommy, too. Yeah. Because um, on a lot of songs, like, when there's vocals... Um, Tommy would handle a lot of like the more noodly stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and also cause Tommy it's at one point, like early in the band, Tommy used to work in a bike shop and he like cut the tip of his middle finger off. Uh huh. Shit. So yeah. he had, or maybe the ring finger. I can't remember, but Tommy looks like he worked in a bike shop. He's yeah. got that. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he always had trouble with like certain chords after that. So oh, like his style became almost by, by necessity, like more of like the, I hate to say like lead player, yeah. but, um, you know, he just like couldn't do some of the chords cause his finger was messed up. Even but better yeah, I mean, though, like this realization for just like how good that band was. I know that, I know that I've told you this a lot over the years, but I, I just feel like the four of you had some magic yeah i mean it comes some of it i think is from me brendan and brendan having known each other and played together mm -hmm. for you know like five years before everyone everywhere even started and then and yeah i think like it's just all we did like like when that band was happening and we were in college mm -hmm. we would literally practice for like seven hours a day sometimes yeah. um so you know that's like it's it's just something that you can't always do in every situation and and um definitely contributed to it but yeah and it, and it was like it was just super collaborative too like like every song was built in a collaborative way there was never no one ever came and was like yo i wrote a song check it out that never mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. um so i think all those things together kind of helped with with what you're describing yeah, and you really found a good voice with the bass, too. You were... I I remember that show in St. Louis, so specifically, because you were using a Big Muff on most of those songs, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You kind of... Yeah, I mean, right, I, you you found a good, a good tone with that band playing the bass. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I was, like... I was always a bass player trying to be a guitar player. Mm -hmm. um, and and we were also like super into like hum and stuff at that point. So like a, a big muff on a bass was like, why yeah. wouldn't you play a big muff on a bass? Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I think like, I I think my bass style, I, I'm like a melody person. Um, uh -huh. And I think like, I was always thinking melodically with the bass as much as I could, especially because like the way the guitars worked in that band, you needed, I think you needed the bass to function that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I always liked the way that you play cause you really hit like the mid range mm -hmm. really, really nicely on that instrument. Yeah. So, um, you went to college. I, I picked up a good amount of your biography reading the scene, uh, fake ideas, which is available now. Um, and I, you went to Drexel, right? And then everybody I else did. was in Temple. Um, right. would you go to Drexel for, like, what'd you study? Music industry. Oh yeah. How's that going? <laughs> Awful. Well, no, it's, I mean, hopefully. You're doing the it, thing? Yeah. Hopefully it's going great. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess like I didn't go to, I, I, I really studied like how to, um, like engineer and, and record. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not really making great use of that. I would say. Well, I see your electronic drums back there. I beg into self-taught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you played them on the first hurry release. I did. No bass, yeah. no bass. <laughs> Who you needs were, it? You were like, I can't get <laughs> pigeonholed here. <laughs> It was honestly, the re the real reason there's no bass on the first record is because my bass, I always left it at the Everyone Everywhere practice space. Mm -hmm. So when I was demoing, I never had a bass on hand. 
And then when I went to record it, I was like, well, I never made bass parts and the demos are fine. So I'll just not do it on the real thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tell me a little bit about like writing songs um, because the first tape is in 2012, the same year as the second Everyone Everywhere LP. When did the songs start to come together and... Also, you know, I think you're pretty well integrated with the that power pop tradition. Um, that was an exciting development in, in Everyone Everywhere, too, was just that it seemed like you all got into Yola Tango at the same time. So Some of us did. Yeah. Some of us did. <laughs> there was that, 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 uh, the, the newfound love for that created some tension at times. Oh, yeah? Well, um, me and Brendan and tommy brendan the drummer was not as into yola tango mm-hmm. he you know you can tell by his style like he likes action like yeah. that's like he hits hard too he hits hard he likes complexity and he likes things that are challenging uh-huh. um and there's a song on the second record called the future which is like yeah the song that was like most directly inspired by yola tango because it kind of just drones and like it's one thing the whole time mm-hmm. and i remember when we were writing that song he he hated it he said this was the most boring song he's ever heard in his life (laughs) and and we were like going back and forth because we we thought it was awesome so but yeah a lot of us discovered yola tango at the same time Mm -hmm. for sure so when when did you start writing songs where you kind of once you had a few chords you were writing or do you remember kind of starting to do it in earnest yeah i mean i guess like in 2011 or so i started just messing around um you know i had heard that first best coast record had come out Mm -hmm. and like blew my mind a little bit those eps um, too yeah like fuck that band started at the top (laughs) i know it was it was amazing that record is incredible and um that first yuck record had come out and there was just this like new music popping up that was sort of tapping into like the music i loved when i was a kid Mm-hmm. You know, like, 90s alternative style, like, power pop or just, like, pop rock kind of... Like, that started... There were bands doing that, and it, and it was kind of this thing in my brain of, like, oh, like, this is okay, you know? <laughs> like, because especially being in the emo world for so long, like, no one was doing that. And it was, like, if you were making... You know, that that it was just a different world, and I didn't feel... There was no scene for that kind of music, especially in Philly. Um, yeah. But I just started messing around and, um, you know, kind of relearning guitar a little bit just because I hadn't really played it in so long. And that was that was part of it, too, was like I always missed playing guitar. And um, because everyone everywhere was so, so busy, I never really got to. Um, but, yeah, it just started, like, as a band camp project and I was mm-hmm. just making demos, popping them up there. I, I picked the name hurry kind of as like a joke to myself because, um, I still have this, I, I've broken the habit a little bit, but generally I, if I started writing a song, I wouldn't stop until it was done. Um, so I mm-hmm. never would like work a little, come back the next day, work a little more. It was always this like, just this like sprint kind of thing and and um i have the same thing like creatively where it's like i i I worry about like losing the feeling there's something Mm -hmm. that feels like your your like intellect is not going to be able to pick it up in the right fashion totally yeah i still am that way like i the only the only time i stop now is if i run out of time or something Mm-hmm. Or there are times where I just get exhausted because I think my writing process has changed a little bit. But but yeah, I mean, I was just like casually making these songs, sharing them with friends. Um, and, you know, it eventually got to the point where there were enough of them that I was like, oh, I could like record a record. Like I, I wrote eight songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was never like totally intentional. And, uh, 
you know, I, I don't think I had a plan to turn it into a real band until I sort of felt everyone everywhere dissolving. Yeah. Was there a conversation with everyone everywhere or was it kind of just like, cause it seemed to, I mean, hearing that it's basically a band that lasts you the length of college, it totally makes sense that that's a college band and like kind of remarkable that y'all got two LPs out of your college band. Cause college bands are like meant for a demo and maybe a <laughs> seven inch. Yeah. Cause it felt like when y'all played fast, what, and that was 2014. Yeah. I remember right. cause I was few months into my sobriety. So fest was a great time. Great place to go. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of teetotalers at fest yeah yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> but it felt like this i don't know it, you all playing there felt kind of like all right we're here you got us it, like it, you hadn't been nothing had been said about you guys like not doing anything more but it felt like this was maybe a like little victory lap yeah i mean it i wouldn't call it a victory lap so to answer your initial question like there was never really a conversation um mm. it was just sort of like oh we're all pretty busy now uh i guess we're not gonna like really practice anymore or whatever um or maybe we will at some point like it was never there was never a conversation and then I think at a certain point it became sort of clear that we weren't going to like make new music anymore, but if a cool thing got offered, we would do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there were like, I think we probably played like three or four shows after, after the second record came out and we had sort of like stopped being a band. I think there was like fest um, there was a Brooklyn Night Bazaar, I think we did after that. Mm -hmm. Um, basically, like with Fest and all that, Fest, it was like they offered it. We were like, oh, that would be kind of fun to do. Let's just do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like fresh enough off whenever the last show we played was that we wouldn't have had to rehearse too much. And like, you know, but yeah, they just get fewer and farther between and you know, you start to get asked less over time when you don't yeah, do stuff. And, right. and, uh, and also the more time that passes, the idea of doing a show gets harder and harder. Cause you're like, well, how are we ever going to remember to play all these songs again? And, and like, uh -huh. where are we going to find the time to practice? And, um, so we've still never like officially said we're not a band, but just because I think it's kind of arbitrary to say that, but, um, uh -huh. I think, I'm also not sure we'll ever play again just because unless there's like drastic life changes for some people, like I just don't, mm -hmm. I don't see how it's possible because none of us have played any of those songs in like at least five years or something. Those are not easy songs too. They're all in weird time yeah, you signatures really gotta, and shit. You got to stay in it. Like, you know, it would probably take us a week just to figure out like where the capos go for every song, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then after that you still have to remember how to play it um you mentioned the yuck record and yeah man that it's wild how much of a revelation that thing felt like right totally yeah those were just i think that that and best coast those together were like it was like a tidal wave Mm-hmm. and it was it was just wild to hear songs that had so many repeating parts i'm just thinking of those first two yuck songs on that record where it's just like man totally. they play the same thing over and <laughs> over and over again and it's great mm -hmm. it did kind of like kick off uh, a bit of a revival of not even like the stuff that i think yuck was referencing but that basic like you know i feel like everybody started listening to third eye blind again like right at that moment <laughs> yeah i mean it i think that was sort of what like the beginnings of 90s nostalgia you know mm -hmm. 
Um, and you also, I wanted to make sure that I talked to you about this. You played a show with Tommy Keene. Yeah. And that guy is like a fucking god in my world. So how was that? It was amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful we got to play with him before he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and it literally happened because um, Rob, who plays drums in Hurry, he's like huge rob is a nerd like a huge music nerd and Mm -hmm. um really into all that power pop stuff and knows so much like i've learned a lot from him but he was facebook friends with tommy keen just just like as a fan you know and tommy keen i think because he was an older dude like his like facebook page was just a personal facebook page like he didn't have like a a Uh business page set up or whatever um and i think he was saying like on facebook like i'm booking a tour uh anyone have any connections in philadelphia and rob was like hey you should email tommy keen so i literally just was like hey i can put a show on and he was like cool and uh we just made it happen and he was like so cool such a nice dude um it was uh, it was amazing i feel like it's like a feather in my cap that uh that i got to play with him yeah absolutely that's that is a really just, I don't know, moment. I got to see that tour, too. And yeah. I, he was, like, young and sprightly. Um, and he played a great I know, set. It's crazy. And he's just, like, I don't know if it was this way for when he played uh, with y'all, but I just love watching him just turn the amp up a little bit more each break. And by the end, he's just blasting the room out. I went with my parents. It was like so great. We were just all like, "Yeah." Just were your pa- are your, blown did your parents off. know of him? Yeah, my I grew up in a really musical household, so my like Tommy Keen story is um, there was a show in New Britain, Connecticut that I went to that like my uncle's radio station put on. Um, I don't remember the full lineup, but Super Drag played, Whoa. and. I got to watch Super Drag. There's a picture of me with Super Drag in this room somewhere. Um, <laughs> and the headline was Paul Westerberg and Tommy Keen was playing lead guitar. And right. um, someone God, threw what a show. A, it was fucking incredible, man. Um, all the Super Drag guys were really nice, too. And they yeah. were all really excited to see Paul Westerberg. And so were we. And someone threw something during Westerberg's set, like two thirds of the way through, and it hit him. It was like a bottle. It hit him in the head, and he's just like, "Fuck this, I'm out." Um, oh no! And my dad was like, "We're standing on the side of the stage," and he's like, "Hey, go ask one of the guys for that piece of paper on Tommy's amp." And it's the set list for that show, and it's inside the. Uh, I guess that would be the century paul westerberg album the second mm. solo paul westerberg record has tommy Keene's set from that night wow yeah i love yeah, that's, i that's fucking so love cool. that guy's record so much man he's yeah such a i great feel like he's player. still like i feel like tommy Keene is still underappreciated like it's like he mm-hmm. spent his entire career being underappreciated and people he's one of those classic like bands bands kind of yeah. person and uh it's a shame he's like he's i think he still is like but that's kind of what is so special about it too is like when you discover it Mm -hmm. um you're just like oh my god there's like so many amazing songs i know he's just a, a a writer he's a songwriter and yeah i have always felt that connection to this project of yours is that you're you really write songs dude yeah i try (laughs) um (laughs) i i don't know i feel like i i can appreciate them in a uh i don't know in a sense that's like yeah you're really putting something in that i think maybe gets lost a little bit at times um just really making sure that like those parts are right that bridge is right right Um, yeah i mean i you know there's a reason i love tommy keen and you know a lot of 
a lot of that stuff and and yeah i'm into song songwriting and um i I do feel a kinship with tommy keen in that way and and artists like that where i I think music like that can sometimes get lost in the shuffle of like everything else that's happening you know Mm -hmm. not to like i'm not trying to like uh I feel like I have to tread lightly with what I'm saying right now because I don't want it to come out as like you're doing. No great. one's listening to what I'm doing, and there, you know, it's not. That's not the point I'm trying to make. But mm-hmm. uh, you're not even close to it, so don't worry about that. Great. I've also like really enjoyed your progress as a singer, and it it was kind of a trip to go all the way back to that first hurry thing, and just to hear the way your voice has progressed over these records um because your voice is your voice now you have really found like okay this is where i sing and it's a range that i think i don't know if if you struggled with that or because i mean singing a little bit higher and my voice is naturally a little bit higher too yes it's difficult to i guess like be comfortable in it totally i yeah i mean i have always um yeah it's hard it's hard when you're not someone with like training to to understand like what your range is or what your range should be and a lot of the time i feel like i would find out in the studio when it was like a little too late you know and we'd Mm -hmm. be like um but that but that's also a benefit of working with mike for so long is that he knows my voice now and you know, a lot of times I'll send him my demos and he'll be like, okay, we got to change this key. Like this is going to work better for you, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. blah. And, and, um, I think by now I've started to learn, I've started to figure it out. Um, and I think on the new record, it's definitely the most comfortable I've been. And I think it's like the best job I've done of writing for myself. You know, I agree with that very much and i think that's i think where i was at with a sort of belabored point to say that you write good songs is that i think that this record in particular is probably the best of the hurry records just in the way that it feels like you really found the mark in all ways yeah i i appreciate that um and yeah i personally i i agree with that i mean i i always make a joke to, to people that I talk to that like uh, every band who's ever released a terrible record thinks it's their best record. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think this is the best record for hurry and uh, it could come out that I'm wrong and it's awful, but, uh, but I personally think it's the best one. So, um, and you talked about this a little bit uh, with David Anthony, uh, very, lovely conversation between two boys i enjoy very much <laughs> um but you also when you talk about hurry being you know this idea of uh starting and needing to finish in one sitting i guess how was it for your creative flow having a record that you finished and then the pandemic happens and i know more important things in the world sure surely but um you know not being able to just like have the last step complete did that bunch you up creatively it did it did eventually feel that way like when 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 the pandemic like happened um the record was being mastered and you know i got so like anxious and crazy with the pandemic that I didn't even like care, you know? And, um, Mm -hmm. it took a while. I feel like it wasn't until like last summer that I started to like feel a little normal. And those thoughts started like creeping back of like, Oh yeah, there's this record. What am I going to do with it? What's going to happen? Um, and, and yeah, I, another thing that, that I do is that I often won't, start new music until like the the last thing i've worked on is out like there's Mm -hmm. just sort of like a block that goes up um so like i wasn't i wasn't feeling super creative musically and i wasn't writing music um 
And that's kind of like where the book situation came from was just like, I was looking for a way to channel something and have something to work on. Um, but I, you know, it, it was like good and bad because the positive side of it for me was that like nothing was happening in the music industry. So mm-hmm. like not releasing my record didn't really feel like a big deal because I didn't feel like there was no like FOMO or anything. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm doing nothing while everyone else is doing things. It, it was sort of this like, um, yeah, it, 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 it softened the blow a little bit because, because of the situation, I guess, but it did eventually become frustrating, especially as things got a little more normal and people started releasing music and, um, you know, I had conversations with Lamo and about like when we should do it. And, mm-hmm. um, they, they were, they wanted to wait longer just, um, you know, for the success of the record, I guess. Um, right. So, you know, it was frustrating and, and, um, but it could have been worse, I guess. I don't know. Right. Right. Totally. I guess I'm just thinking of, you know, the, if that last step is not complete, like, what am I going to do? Like, write more songs? I can't add to the catalog yet if the catalog totally. hasn't been officially, like, signed and sealed. Like, um, Right. I also, I mean, this was supposed to come up a little bit earlier, but you and me were just having too much fun. I think yeah. that your band is fucking fantastic, too. Those oh, two, thanks. Rob and Joe, um... That's been a solid lineup since since what you annexed uh Brendan. Yeah, but that was sort of like when Brendan finally was too busy with his new work to like uh-huh. be in a band anymore. Um and Joe I'd been in bands with before like actually there was a, there used to be a band that me, Joe, Brendan the drummer from Everyone Everywhere, um our friend what Perry happened? Yeah, exactly. What happened? Uh, no, what happened yeah. to that band? Oh, you're not making a joke? Yeah, I'm making a joke. Oh, okay. What I, 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 didn't the band? I didn't know. I didn't know. It's good. It's good. It it fizzled out, but uh, uh-huh. but I you know I'd always Joe Joe had been a friend for a really long time, and um, and he's he is one of the best bass players I know. Dude, um, Psychic Teens. Yeah. Fuck. That's one of the most underrated bands of the last 10 years. Totally. Full stop. Yeah. Such a good band. Both of them. I, like, Psychic Teens are amazing. And also, I don't know if you ever listened to Univox, Univox. the band that Rob was in. Mm-hmm. But that band was so cool, too. Um, yeah, but so, like, yeah, Joe joining, I think, was definitely a turning point. Um, just in terms of, like, what he brings to the songs and... and uh, I love the way he plays bass. Just think he's tremendously talented. Yeah, I mean, he's like a big, um, like, Peter Hook person. And, and mm. uh, you know, and like, I, you know, I talked about me trying to be a melodic bass player, but Joe is like the epitome of a melodic bass player. Mm-hmm. And like the, the consideration he gives, because I always send demos to Joe that have like drums, guitar, vocals. And before we record, he'll like, write parts and he he writes his parts based on the vocals like he and everything he does is Mm -hmm. like to complement the melody of the song um which is something that i feel like a lot of bassists don't do in it but it makes like a tremendous difference Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i've always gotten the sense and i think that this comes from everyone everywhere to where um like everyone everywhere was a band that seemed to be uh interested in being a band that everybody else was able to everybody was able to have lives right in and hurry has kind of to me seemed the same way and especially just knowing that you're you know at reanimator and i i've i've always just kind of admired the what seems to be like a um What's the word I'm looking for here? It seems like this is just a part of like what you do and you're functioning with it and also allowing yourself to do other things too. Is that something that you that you think about or has it um I don't know if it's 
I don't know if it's like as considered as that. You know, I think with everyone everywhere, I think we were always really pragmatic and mm-hmm. um and we tried. Like like we did try to like be a band that like, you know, we did DIY tours and um you know, uh, but I th- I don't know if we like never totally understood the right way to do it or if like it just wasn't the right time, but it never really worked out for us. Um, yeah, you were about two years I, too early, I think. Yeah, but it, it just sort of like, you know, I don't know if it like got us down as in us or or if it was more just us going like, all right, well, you know, we 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 can't do this full time like it's just not gonna work you know like we Uh and that's and but i think it helped us ultimately because i think you know it it allowed us to have a different attitude about everything that i think people really enjoyed and um Mm -hmm. because we weren't so precious about it all and um yeah and i think with hurry now you know, maybe to my own detriment, I think I've carried some of that vibe from everyone everywhere because they sort of it was like a crossfade between them, you know, and and um, mm-hmm. uh, so I think I came into it maybe being too pragmatic, you know, and, and thinking like, well, whatever, this isn't going to work. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to try that hard. <laughs> and and uh, and I still think I have some issues with that where I don't give myself enough credit or I, I talk myself out of possibility or, or things like that. Um, but I, I try to balance it with like, you know, it's, I guess it's hard sometimes to be a pragmatist or it's like, am I being pragmatic or am I depressed? You know? Yeah. And yeah. And I I think like there are times where I have conversations with myself. That's like, you know, this band is probably never going to be incredibly successful and you shouldn't bank on that. So you should try to preserve whatever you can to like survive and like try to build a life for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like leave the door open for anything that can happen. And I think that's what I've tried to do. And, and you know, the, one of the reasons that I like my day job at reanimator is that it does offer me the freedom to go on tour and, um, so those, those doors are open. Um, I think I've also just become choosier. Like I don't, I've been really fortunate with her to do a bunch of cool tours over the last couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't, I'm not doing like DIY tours anymore. Um, right. You know, You're also cool. not doing the, you know, two months that I think right. is necessary for things to go <laughs> past where they are totally yeah i mean it's it's tough um i i I still struggle with like what i should be doing and Mm -hmm. struggle with like what this band is or like what it could be and i you know it's hard because i'm also like doing it all myself now and uh it just makes it difficult sometimes for me to know like am i making the right decision am i selling myself short am i trying too hard you know Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i struggle with it a lot um not to get (laughs) where i'm going down a dark path right now maybe no no i can totally relate it was i think i think it does the dynamic changes in so many ways when it becomes my band as opposed to a band that i'm in um Mm -hmm. and i think that's a lesson that I, I learned because with everyone everywhere, because we were collaborative and everything was like a vote or a group decision. Sorry. My dog um, hates it when I'm in the room alone <laughs> with the door closed. No, I understand. Uh, you know, it, it made it easier to, to like feel confident in, in like what we were doing and the decisions we made and, and like that balance, because it was like, we're all in this together, whatever. And now that it's just me, it's like, it weighs heavier and it makes it harder to really know what's up. So that that's a long answer to your question to more or less say, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah. The songs though, that's, <laughs> I know that it's, I know that it can be tough to go back to that. Um, 
it requires a lot, I think, to be, you know, the biggest fan of the thing that you do, but also like the critical analysis. You're also the one who has to say like, all right, is this the best thing? Yes, I'm saying that publicly, but also if I'm writing about it, if I'm ranking it in my head, is it the best thing? That's tough. That's really tough. But I mean, I think you know the answers to all of the critical parts. Um, what what do you mean? What critical? What like? What do you mean? In terms of like, sorry, I guess I got a little like long with the metaphor, but just like you know that this is your best record, and you know that you're not saying it because you're talking to me because James put us in touch. You right. know it because you wrote it and you feel it. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, everyone has their own version of imposter syndrome, you know, whatever it is, but I, you know, I do feel confident in the songs and I feel confident in the record. I think I, I always just have a problem with like the industry element of everything and like the best way to sort of navigate that because it's not, it's not in my nature and some people I think it really is and they kind of thrive on, on like doing all that stuff but it's it's tough for me and it doesn't come naturally so um you know that that's where i kind of run into problems where i'm like i have no idea what i'm doing or if i'm doing the right thing the music part of it's easy yeah (laughs) i I know how it goes um (laughs) it is your best record the zine is also super fun and as someone who has conversations with people uh for semi-living I really enjoyed how it sort of took its time to like your conversations are all there's a little bit of like in between that's happening that I really enjoy where you don't cut straight to it. We get some of the conversation that you have like leading into it and then the, you know, reaction to I forget, I think it's Rob's partner watching the Richard Ramirez thing. (laughs) And it's like, it's almost over. It's like that is on that shit's my favorite part of everything me too yeah i've always enjoyed that that interview style for sure um and yeah i tried to do it as best i could do you have fun with that project it seems like you were having a good time yeah i was because like i don't know i mean you probably experienced a version of this i know you don't do these a lot with people that you're like you know super well but um that's how it started, honestly, with people I knew yeah. in Chicago. But it's, like, for me, like, you know, we've talked about Mike Bardzik a lot in this conversation, but, like, I've known Mike since I was 15 years old, but Mike and I have never talked on the phone for an hour, you know? Like, we've never, mm-hmm. we have conversations, obviously, in the studio, but um, things like that, like, just getting on the phone with people and talking to people, and maybe I'm more nostalgic for it because of the pandemic, but that was my favorite part of it was just like it was fun to talk to all these people i knew in like a new way even my Mm -hmm. bandmates like i don't talk to my bandmates on the phone Um, right so yeah and 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 i thought it was fun transcribing it um and just like um because i like writing and i think it was uh, yeah i enjoyed the whole process it was just fun and um I, i it is something i want to do more of yeah um no it's it's harder to talk to people that you know and i think that we did pretty good here (laughs) i was i was nervous i was more nervous to talk to you than i have been for like other people just because it's like ah you know i don't i don't know i've met the guy a couple times but it's been a long time yeah i was excited i was excited too i'm still excited this is great let's do it again I'm I'm glad I'm genuinely glad to have I'm going to consider this a reconnection um, hell yeah and I'm glad it happened because I I truly have been admiring you doing this for a while Um, you know I don't remember how many years you've been doing it but it feels like a couple at least it's very Um, very kind of you and I've been feeling the same way too since I got that first hurry tape in the mail I've been really enjoying this shit and as a as a fan and admirer it's it's fucking cool when 
a band that you like is making their best shit 10 years into it. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't realize it'd been that long. Uh, yeah, it's crazy, but I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for calling. My pleasure. All right, Bubba's check out Hurry online. Hurry.bandcamp.com. Everyone everywhere. Bandcamp.com. Better yet, pod.com. Better yet, podcast.bandcamp.com. We will see you next week. Thank you, friends. I'm